Hello and welcome to another episode of Embodiment. This podcast is a place for those in the pursuit of creating a life that is the true medicine by essence, where how we choose to commune with ourselves, community, nature, and spirit reflects our state of health and well-being. The goal of this podcast is to give the power of healing back to you and empower you to create meaningful change in your life so that living healthfully and vibrantly is your natural state. We'll explore topics from Eastern and Western medicine, spirituality, quantum physics, to personal growth, food, food systems, and so much more. Some shows will be me sharing my experiences, while others will be interviews from experts, thought leaders, teachers, and more. And before we get into today's episode, please, wherever you listen to the podcast, one way you can support the podcast is by leaving a five-star review and a written review. It's so helpful. And be sure to like and subscribe to never miss an episode. You can also find me on my website at kaylaringdacm.com or on my Instagram at Ring. Now let's dive in. Welcome to another episode. My name is Dr. Kayla Ring, and today I have with me my mentor, Dr. Brett Mosher, and I am personally so excited and grateful to be able to sit and have this conversation with you today. Well, I wouldn't be here today without you, so um, I'm definitely so grateful. Um, So I'm excited to really dive into... um, Dr. Mosher is just such a wealth of knowledge, and I know that our conversation can probably go in so many different directions, but first of all, welcome, welcome onto my podcast. I'm delighted and honored to be here. Thank you. Um, so today, I we're just going to start out with your overall mission, uh, personally and professionally as, as a physician, what has your mission become? In your clinic, um, well, I, the best way to describe it globally is um, the ability to connect to yourselves, each other, the world around you, and the vehicle and the way that which we approach that is to help people with their health issues. Mm. If you're healthy, then you can engage and be participate in your life in the way that you choose. That's right, which I don't think a lot of people can like often put that together but that makes well, sense another way to kind of ask the question is um, how do you connect to your life if you're exhausted you have in chronic pain you're not eating or digesting problems sleeping you can't move problems thinking um, if you're not clear about your purpose or making a difference in life how do you connect you don't it's something less than right but I think uh, a lot of people don't put two and two together that if you're that if you're not feeling well that if you're ill diseased sick whatever that you're um it's more difficult to connect to other people or at least from a a a higher place which that's not the right word for it but well you know people would think that what we do in a health clinic is to help people with their health that that's the main goal Mm-hmm. It's really the secondary goal. Mm-hmm. The main goal is to help people to function, feel well, and be healthy so they can participate in their lives, so they can go to the grocery store without pain, mm-hmm. so they can cater to their grandkids, so they can go to work and provide for their family, mm-hmm. and to do it in a way where they can be present, they feel connected, they feel like they're doing something that's useful. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of being connected that's the process of life. That's what makes life worth, worth living. Mm-hmm. If you're not connected, then you're separate, you're isolated alone. So the extreme end of that is, is a life without hope and a life without purpose. Mm-hmm. So being healthy is not the main goal in a sense from a spiritual kind of perspective. It's about being able and capable of participating in your life. That's what healthy is, being healthy is about. Yeah, being more present to it. 
if you're not healthy, you can't do. That's true. So, and it's being connected to yourself, each other, the world around you, the environment. It's everything in your life. Mm-hmm. People don't think about it much, but that's really what it comes down to. Right. So when people come into the clinic, they've got some kind of dysfunction or something that limiting how they move about in life. So they're exhausted, fatigued, chronic pain. They've got some kind of condition that's limiting their life. And the first two things we want to try to figure out when they come into the clinic is, can we help them? One. And, this, and the second thing is we want them to leave with hope that it's possible to be better. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the beginning of the whole process. Yeah, and I think hope is such a big thing. Well, and also just because I've personally been under your wing for several years, you know, I feel like a lot of the the people that find us are the ones where it's like we're like you're their last hope almost, right? They're at their wits end, they're at the end of the line. They haven't been able to find anything to help them find some kind of relief. Often that's our typical patient when they first show up. They've got some kind of limiting condition that they're suffering with. Um, They've been to the doctors, had all kinds of tests done, done different medications, all kinds of lab tests, and nobody knows quite what to do or what the problem is. It hasn't been identified. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because this kind of medicine is not part of the culture mainstream, it's often the last place that they show up. Mm-hmm. So, and the medicine's very, very different in many fundamental ways. So the way we look at a problem, the kind of questions that we ask, and the solutions we come up with are very different and distinctly different than what they do in conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. And let's just be clear up front, what's, 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 what's the best medicine, conventional medicine or alternative or Chinese medicine? The answer is both. Both, both yes. Yeah. And they do different things. They do different things. And what is so interesting is, like, I feel like there's, like, almost a war between both sides, you know? How foolish. Uh, oh, yeah, I agree. It's, um, I think it's, it's, uh, you see that from other physicians on both sides. It's almost like, like, they're battling one another, but then you see that amongst, like, the different trends also. Um, but it's, like, that's what it is. It's, um, yin and yang it's, it's macro micro it's like it's all of it included and that's how well it's 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 actually dramatically changing on both sides but it's taken like 30 years so yeah we have a lot of conventional physicians and mds that are moving into functional medicine so they're moving away from disease and pathology and and trying to keep people from dying mm-hmm. in a sense to looking at genetics genetic expression how the body's designed to work and find ways and means to make that better so there's a whole strata of physicians that are sprouting up all over the place because it's filling a massive gap in conventional medicine. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing within our industry. So in the area of Chinese medicine, acupuncturists, uh, functional medicine, you know, the way the medicine was taught traditionally was you learned a system of medicine and then you would apply it to any and all kinds of conditions. But what they're kind of starting to do in our industry is they're kind to reduce things down to specialists within our field you know so and and when they do that when they do that they start losing the focus and intent of the traditional medicine yeah there's a whole process of looking at the whole landscape of what's happening within a person's life and when they start specializing and isolating and um, breaking things down into smaller components they lose that context that understanding of where any kind of symptom comes from and it's profound because if you lose that context you really lose the essence of the medicine right so for for anyone who's listening that that may not have like the full understanding of you know what western or an md would do what they're looking for so what you're trying to say is that they're looking traditionally they're looking for gross pathology meaning they, there isn't a problem until there's a problem, right? As a tendency, especially with managed medicine, until you show up with a gross disease pathology or disease until you're full-blown diabetic, until there's an infection they can identify, as a tendency, especially the way the medicine's practiced, you're not sick. Right. So in functional medicine and Chinese medicine, we look at patterns of dysfunction before the disease shows up. 
Mm-hmm. So the great gift in this medicine, if it's done well, is you can see patterns exhibiting in a person's physiology, functioning in life before they have to get the growth disease or pathology. Right. So that's a huge gift if you can do that. So uh, a good example would be uh, insulin blood sugar response. So before you show up and become pre-diabetic or diabetic and your blood sugars are up too high, you've had two or three decades of progressive damage at a cellular level where the insulin receptor sites in the cells have been progressively damaged before it even shows up as something that's measurable on a blood test. Mm-hmm. So in the areas of studying genetics and functional medicine and Chinese medicine, they've been able to map that out in great detail. So we have a ton of information about what it is, how it progresses, how it develops, what happens at a cellular level, the genetics behind it. There's a ton of that information. But that information, the way I describe it from a Western science point of view, it's a relatively modern uh, expression of science where it's gone to. But in Chinese medicine, they've known about these issues exquisitely well. They knew what insulin blood sugar response did to the body. They knew what it looked like in great detail at every stage. In Chinese medicine, they exquisitely defined what genes do. (laughs) They exquisitely define what genes do in great detail without knowing what a chromosome is. Right. So Which it's is just it, so you know because in Chinese medicine they're not looking at the disease, they're looking at the body's response to any stress. So pattern recognition in Chinese medicine is to define how the body's responding to any and all stress. So if they can identify how the body's responding and not responding to a condition, mm-hmm. uh, like a stomach ulcer. Right there's you can have six different diagnoses in Chinese medicine because they're not tracking the infection that's in the stomach or the ulcer itself. They're tracking how the body's able to respond to that stress. Right. So in Western medicine, they'll do a test. You find that H. pylori or bacteria is there. It causes the ulcer. They give you a medication for it. So everybody that has that problem, they get the same assessment, same diagnosis, and the same medicine, and it works. But it took Western medicine 20 or 30 years before they figured out what causes ulcers. Right. So that's a whole other topic of discussion. The yeah. famous doctor in Australia that gave himself an ulcer like two or three times. Oh, uh-huh. By giving himself the infection, then he cured it. So it took a lot to get that up, up onto the menu. Right. In Chinese medicine, we look at the body's response to the stressor. So we have a pattern recognition that defines what the problem is and that defines how you apply the medicine. So we can treat and cure and mitigate a condition like a stomach ulcer and never know what the name of the infection is. Right. It's That's, almost like it, it's not necessarily important. It doesn't help to know the name of the infection. It's right. everything about how the body's responding or not responding to the stress. That defines everything. Right. So essentially to uh, reiterate what what you're saying is like you can have two people with the exact same Western diagnosis, but Chinese medicine could most likely approach treatment for each individual differently based off of how they're responding to, how their body is responding to that stress of the ulcer or whatever. Six different people with a stomach ulcer, six different diagnoses. Some of the diagnoses could be completely different uh, not even look the same, and yet they can all be cured within Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to know the name of the infection. Right. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both of those points of view. Um, From but, Western and Eastern? or yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, if they don't identify the infection and name it, then they don't know what it is, they don't know what medicine to apply, or they, they discount you and say that you're not sick. Right. So from our medicine, we can treat it and cure it and never know fully where it comes from at the from the western point of view and it's completely legitimate within this medicine right and i think that that's also another like component of offering hope to patients is that you know i feel like a lot of patients will come in and they feel like they've been unheard or unseen or that they're crazy because they feel these you know they don't feel well but their labs are saying they're fine and it's almost like they're discounted, but Chinese medicine, functional medicine, looks at it differently and offers a different, can offer a different sense of hope 
because it doesn't matter if we know what's going on. We're just paying attention to how the body is responding and how it's presenting that day. Yeah, and that's a huge, huge difference if you really look at that carefully. Um, you know, a couple of examples came to mind as you started. Ranting? Yes, yeah, <laughs> carrying on. Right. Um, you know, I think that the thing I've struggled to learn how to functionally get a handle on is thyroid conditions. Mm-hmm. So you can do full thyroid panels on a blood test. The patient comes in. They look, walk, and act like somebody's got a low or, or dysfunctional thyroid. Their blood levels look fine. Mm-hmm. So we'll have 100 patients like that. They will come to us. They have these symptoms. It looks and walks like a thyroid problem. The doctors look at the test, and they say it's not your thyroid. But what we've learned over the decades is that there are dysfunctional thyroid problems that do not show up on the uh, standard or even the extensive thyroid panels. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the conversion of T4 to T3. Right. So your TSH, T3, T4, you know, any parameters you want to look at and measure can be within normal ranges. But it doesn't mean that the active form of the chemical in your body that tells the cells what to do is actually getting to the cell, plugging in and telling the cell what to do. Yeah. So, and because we're able to track all these different systems in the body functionally, in terms of patterns of how the body is able to adapt, when we initiate a therapy, we can track all these different systems and see if there's functional changes that occur or not. So when you say functional changes, what does that look like for someone who doesn't understand that? Well, on a thyroid pattern, they're exhausted, they're tired, they've got classic kind of thyroid symptoms, their hair may be falling out, uh, skin problems, problems with healing anywhere in the body, it suppresses the immune system. Because thyroid affects um, energy production with every cell in your body, what does it affect? Pretty much everything. So when we start tracking all the muscle groups that aren't working, the level of fatigue that they have, the digestive problems, the sleep problems, the chronic pain that they have, um, joint pain, and when we start pulling up and getting the thyroid to actually engage and function the way it's designed, all of those problems start improving and are alleviated. Mm-hmm. So some of that we can track with objective tests like blood tests, um, but a lot of it is just the symptom profile and how they present. So it's not just that they're getting better, it's that all these other systems um, are actually improving their function. They'll stand up taller and straighter, their spine will line up, muscle groups will balance out, joint pain goes down. It's really interesting that almost universally when we get the right combination of things for somebody with a thyroid problem, when we plug that in and they take that stuff, there's almost like a stillness or calmness that comes into their body, sometimes mm-hmm. even with one dose. And what's happening is their body's actually coming out of fight or flight maybe for the first time and we don't know how long. So it's soothing, relaxing, and calming. And sometimes they just want to take a nap because it's the first time their body has not been in fight or flight trying to compensate for a thyroid that isn't working. Right. So the beginning of healing is to come out of fight or flight. Then the body can rest, restore, rejuvenate, repair. So if it's a thyroid problem, then once you get that up to speed, that process begins. Mm -hmm. And thyroids in particular are massively confusing in any medicine Mm -hmm. because there's primary, secondary, and tertiary thyroid problems. They're very different things. Mm -hmm. You can have a thyroid that isn't working right, hyper or hypo, overactive or underactive. That's one issue. You can have an autoimmune disorder that's affecting the thyroid. So a dysfunctional thyroid compared to an autoimmune problem affecting the thyroid are very different universes. They're assessed differently, they're treated differently, and if you don't assess it, you can actually make somebody worse. Right. So, and there could just be tertiary thyroid problems where the thyroid is just overworking, like electric motor that's overworking and overheating because it's trying to compensate for other major stressors. So, in functional medicine or Chinese medicine, we look at all these different systems in the body, we try to put any set of symptoms in contact with what's happening everywhere else in the body. Mm-hmm. So in this example with the thyroid problem, they could have chronic digestive problems, inflammatory bowel problems, not digesting their food. If we get that thyroid function up and the energy production improves across the board, they start di- digesting better for the first time. They start sleeping more soundly for the first time mm-hmm. and who knows how long. Mm-hmm. So the beginning of healing is to come out of fight or flight and improve and regulate energy production at every level. So. How would, for anyone listening, I mean, I think a lot of us think of, oh, we're 
in fight or flight, like we're experiencing a lot of stress or whatever, but how would you, how could someone be like, okay, I'm, my body is in fight or flight right now. How could somebody like start to identify when they're in that place? Well, it's still in line with this kind of condition, like with the thyroid problem. Um, you could be sitting calmly, not having a whole bunch of stuff happening on the outside of your life. But on the inside, if your body's not making enough chemicals so the cells can do their work, then your body is struggling to do anything and everything. Just normal activity, it's struggling. Yeah. So it's always pushing that weight uphill, even when you're calm and relaxed on the outside. So the body never gets a chance to rest, come out of struggle, and start repairing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, t to me that speaks a lot to like fatigue, which it's like, I, I feel like everybody is like, oh, I have chronic fatigue. Well, the number one complaint, hands down, is fatigue. Fatigue, for sure, yeah. And in, and with line of, in line with that, um, two thirds of everybody in the United States have a weight problem and a metabolic problem. Yeah. And so uh, people that are morbidly obese is about, what is it now, about a third of the population now? Oh, I don't know. And children, it's really high. It's probably it one of the number high. one problems. It's directly tied into insulin blood sugar dysregulation plus how we live our lives. So there's a, many, many issues that come into this. Right. Into this. Right. So I think on a basic level, like when you're in fight or flight, when your body is not able, because my favorite thing so that what you is, say. So what is fight or flight? Fight or flight is you mean like the sympathetic being, state being chased by a hungry lion oh yeah having the rs call you on the phone yeah um, somebody <laughs> in a dark alley with a knife that's trying to kill you right having bills to pay where you don't have enough money yeah right you're so exhausted that just getting to the grocery store and back you you're wondering if you're going to make it right okay that's fight or flight it's having so much to do on your to-do list it's not just too much to do it's your ability to adapt to the stress Right, but I think, I mean, I'm curious your point on this, but I think our bodies used to be able to handle a certain amount of stress, and then over time, right, whether that's aging or we're just nutrient deficient, all these things that kind of pile up, then our ability to adapt to stress diminishes, right? Yes. And so, to me, it's, you know healing coming into this parasympathetic state this rest and digest place yes it helps us to better adapt to stress but that doesn't necessarily mean please take on more so that you can oh okay so <laughs> the common response with a lot of people when they start feeling better you give them a dollar you, you put a dollar in their bank and they go out and spend two dollars yeah you know they start feeling better a little bit and they think they can get busy yes it takes time to fill up the well it takes time to repair right and I think that's just, I mean, that's our society, right? But I think that's what a lot of people, like, start to, um, like, associate with, like, okay, I'm starting to, like, feel better. Or now that I'm, like, healing, I should be able to, you know, adapt and, like, handle stress differently. Which, like, yes, but that's also not, like, please go out and do everything under the sun once again. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's a different level of con drawing a different level of consciousness to lifestyle, but that sounds like a well, different topic a, too. As a concept, you got to put two dollars in the bank and only go out and spend one, and still find ways to make more dollars. Right. So in your body, you have to live. It's all the nuts and bolts stuff that everybody imagined. You have to live a balanced lifestyle: eat, sleep, um, have activity, inactivity, digest your food, make blood. Uh, balance of hormones, neurotransmitters, all the stuff, you know, it's just the nuts and bolts stuff. Right. So that's where you start. You start with lifestyle and habits and food. Right. Which I feel like food is the, not the number one thing, but a very big factor. Like. So with, with immune and autoimmune stresses, if you don't get your diet right, it probably doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to get very far. You're just going to be struggling the whole time. Right. I think that goes for, for like a lot of things. Most conditions. We don't, we don't think about like our food as something that can cause such a like great stress, especially if we don't have like outward big symptoms. Like we're not, we don't go into anaphylaxis or something like that, you know, or we're, we don't have Crohn's or something. We're not celiac. 
Right, and also at a you know at a certain basic level, people look at food and go, "It's just food. You've right. got to eat. How can that make you sick?" Right. So, you know, my grandparents were born in 1900, and they ate all parts of the animal. They cooked traditional kinds of Midwestern-style cooking, and they lived well until they were 93. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also ate sugar, bread, fat bacon, eggs, you know, they had a lot of traditional diets, but they've actually fared fairly well. Mm-hmm. But in our lifetimes, the food has changed. Right. So the food they ate that they were able to live a decent life on is actually making people sick. Mm-hmm. Food is hurting people, harming people, and killing people. Right. And food today is different than it used to be. And one probably marker for that is the genetically modified foods. Yep. It's a very long topic of discussion, a lot of controversy about that. So how we see how do we see that in the clinic here? Patients will come here, they get off of wheat and gluten, and it changes their life. They stop having being in pain, they stop having inflammatory bowel problems, their energy goes up, they start feeling better. Um, and then they go to France and they eat French bread, and they don't get sick. They go to Italy and have pasta, they don't get sick. So I've heard that. How many times have we heard that? Countless. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? They outlawed genetically modified food in Europe from the very beginning. They never allowed it in. Right. So, and that's just a huge topic of discussion all by itself. That's a whole podcast, two or three. Yeah. So, and on, and on top of that, when you're talking about just eating good food, even if it's food that your body's not reactive to, we still have levels of toxins in the environment that our grandparents never had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So, one example is that uh, I've been testing for heavy metals in lab tests for, I think, that started 35 years ago, maybe. Um, in the very beginning, it was rare to see heavy metals coming out in lab testing. Now, virtually every single person that we test, they have some heavy metals coming out. Right, just so terrifying. it wasn't in the environment. Right. And now, what, what do we have in measurable amounts in everybody's body? Uh, glyphosate, Roundup, Teflon, heavy metals, mercury, plastic, plasticizers. I think almost everybody knows that there's minute particles of plastics everywhere in the world right now yeah um, and these things block cellular activity they mm. keep your body from working the way it's supposed to they block receptor sites right P- plastics are really a form of petroleum which is a kind of fat mm-hmm. those fat-based substances block hormone receptor sites in your cells so even your own hormones cannot engage the cells and tell them what to do properly right it literally blocks function mm-hmm. the plastics are supposed to block um, oxygen uptake and how the cells get oxygen. Mm-hmm. So they're blocking receptor sites, blocking the signals that the cells need to get, starving it of oxygen. And in the course of that, the cells come under great stress, waste products build up, the cellular respiration is not good, and then the cells progressively just start breaking down and then they die. Right. And between a healthy cell a dysfunctional cell that's breaking down, somewhere in the course of that, that's where you see dysplasia, cancers, all kinds of chronic diseases, immune and autoimmune disorders sprout up out of, the, out of that base. Mm. So it's a huge, huge topic. Hard to track, right. prolific, measurable amounts in everybody. Oh, I could keep going. It, well, and I think and you've personally been diving a lot into, like, different forms of, like, biohacking, but... Um, like energy production like anti-aging all of that kind of stuff so yeah in the last i don't know i think in the last five years in particular um a lot of the anti-aging research has gone into energy production especially reviving the mitochondria little organelles inside of cells that make energy packets so the cells can do their job Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at ways and means to apply different substances or therapies that will actually enhance mitochondria function. And we're seeing clinical responses with that. So we have this uh, triangle, this triad of things that we look at for energy production. We look at thyroid function, adrenal function, and now mitochondria. Mm-hmm. It's three corners of the triangle. So uh, most people with any kind, no matter what the fatigue is caused from, we, we try to make sure those, those three corners of that triangle is up to speed. Say that one more time. Thyroid, adrenal, and mitochondria? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you've got all three of those functioning, you have a base for actually creating energy at the cellular level so the cells can do their job. Right. So 
and, and I know that this is kind of like hard to like pinpoint, but so uh, to, the main things for someone to be like, okay, my body is in under stress. It's in fight or flight. This would be if they're not digesting well, if they're not sleeping well, if they are tired, would you say, I feel like those are pain and what in pain Pain. and physical pain. Yeah. And that's another thing I think is fascinating is that, um, like we're, we don't think about how our physical pain, I like, it's always brushed off as, well, you're getting older. You're in pain because you're getting older. But, and I, I believe that in a, to a certain extent, but I also, especially like, you know, treating patients now I'm like, okay, but we're not understanding how much our food and our lifestyle is affecting our physical pain. So like, you know, somebody who has arthritis or whatever, you remove dairy or gluten or something, right? Something they're reacting to, but they don't realize that they're reacting to it. And then pain is like almost gone. So let me, let me, let me, let me put a, a marker on the aging process a little bit. They've done some really interesting studies where they've taken people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they got them to start lifting weights. Mm-hmm. And they found they could get them to actually lift as much weight when they were 24. Mm. Right? They can lift the same amount of poundage. They can increase their muscle strength and muscle mass, all that stuff. But what they found is they couldn't lift the weight as many times. Mm-hmm. But it's a big deal that they could lift the weight like they used to, just not as much. So as you get older, your, your internal cup of energy, the cup just gets smaller. Sure. So you can fill it up more often, but you can still fill it up and do stuff. Mm-hmm. But you should be able to do it with good function, without pain. Um, yeah, so in the aging process, as things break down, you still want to be able to do, not have pain, and be able to be present, and not have it be more stress than what your body can adapt to. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, so... How and, would, and you don't want to age prematurely. That's a right. whole another huge topic. Yeah. Okay, so then what does like aging, how would one be able to identify that they're aging prematurely, basically? Um, well, it's pretty much the kind of stuff that we talked about from just a, your own point of view. Chronic pain, not sleeping, not digesting, um, cognitive functions, mental clarity, yeah. all of those things are happening. Um, th- look, if you look at your genes and how they're designed to function, we should live well to, it depends on who you read, 130 to 150. Mm-hmm. So middle age should be like in your 70s and 80s. That should cool. not be old age. And um, there has been enough advances at uh, genetics and the aging process right now that it's possible to start not only arrest premature aging and stabilize it, but also to actually reverse aging, which involves repair at the genetic and cellular level. Mm -hmm. So the changes we'll see in that area in the next 10 to 15 years will be beyond your wild imagination. Yeah. So if if you live long enough, (laughs) the changes in science will be profound in terms of the quality of your days and how long you live. It's going to dramatically change over time. Right. So... And yet another three podcasts. Yes. (laughs) So I hope I didn't deviate too far from what you were asking me, but. Um, I don't remember what my original question was, but we're just kind of flowing. So, so when you're working with patients, what is like the typical, uh, like assessment? So we, in this kind of medicine, we don't just look at a single symptom, isolate it, control it, study it, um, and measure it. We look at every single system in the body. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a headache. And it could be that C4 is displaced and moved anterior in your neck. That's going to cause the headache. And it can cause a headache on both sides and over the whole head. It's a really unique kind of headache. It's actually very hard to treat unless you can get C4 back in place. And just a side note, can you produce complete spinal alignment with good acupuncture? Yes! <laughs> but a lot of people in my industry don't, don't understand that. But yes, good acupuncture will actually line up your whole spine, balance muscle groups, balance your posture. Yeah. Um, in terms of that headache, then the question would be, what's causing C4 to become displaced that way? 
Yeah. Right. So you can have problems in your digestive tract in your gut, an inflammatory gut problem that's affecting your stomach or your intestines. It will cause um, L4 to go out, certain muscle groups to become weak. It'll affect your posture. You'll stoop over just a little bit. That causes your head to come forward. It affects your posture and how you hold yourself up. And then in the course of that whole uh, dysfunctional gestalt, if you will, then C4 is pushed forward, and that's the basis of the headache. So first of all, there's the headache, and then you got to figure out that C4 is the cornerstone of the structural problem. Then you got to figure out what's causing C4 to become displaced. Then you got to go down to the gut and find out what's causing the inflammation or dysfunction in the gut. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole progression of functional things that you have to assess. So we're looking at everything in the total landscape to identify why this one plant or this one tree isn't growing properly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the tree isn't growing properly. It's The roots aren't right. The ground isn't right. There's not enough water in the soil. There's not enough nutrients in the soil. Um, so where does all that stuff come from for a plant? It's the river upstream that's coming down. It's... Um, stripping the land of nutrients. The soil is not alive, it's not full of microbes. So in that metaphor of the landscape, it's the same thing. When you're looking at a, uh, a leaky gut, a dysbiosis, not having good flora in your intestines, that's the, that's the beginning of any and all chronic health problems is probably tied into the gut. Mm-hmm. Tons of that out there about good gut and digestive health. But that has been something that has been known and taught in Chinese medicine for thousands of years. It's not a, a old phenomenon. It's a whole school of thought and uh, point of view in, for a lot of people in Chinese medicine is the digestive uh, gut yeah. point of view. You got a healthy gut, it's the beginning of everything in, 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 for some people in Chinese medicine. So you got to digest, a- make blood, and then make cells. Right. That's the basis of it. So some people, that's where they start, and that's that's thousands of years old. It's not a new thing that's been taught. Yeah. The whole spleen-stomach school of thought is... The earth really, element, yeah. Well, it's really fascinating, too. Um, and I I have one of the books that I haven't been able to get to yet, but I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to dive into so, it. So how many books are you reading at the same time? I think right now I'm between three or four. <laughs> Yeah, I've got at least a dozen books I'm plowing through. Yeah, always. We won't talk about uh, my interrupted sleep patterns because I'm reading late at night, but that's another issue. Or the emails that I get at 3 in the morning (laughs) with articles. Hey, look at this. Uh, No, those are the best. (laughs) Well, I could be in Europe when I sent you that email. Um, Probably not. Okay, let's go on. I mean, I wish that you that you were and enjoying be so bad. life yes, over right. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay, and I'm curious. Also, personally, I'm curious, like how your your practice has evolved for you to get to this state and place, and also, like when you first started, well. You, you have an absolute gift, but when you got into medicine, was it because you were driven by this? If people are in a healthier state and place and they are better able to connect with life. So evolution of how you got to where, you're, where you are at right now. And So do, do you have any small questions? I do not. No? Okay, great. No, great. Yeah. So. <laughs> so when I, I, I guess... Um, when I was about maybe 19, I started studying kinesiology and Chinese medicine. And so instantly I started grabbing bodies and trying to do stuff to them. And I was just amazed that you could make change in the body. And I've been driven by it ever since. Mm-hmm. So I, in the beginning, I studied with teachers, and eventually teachers from around the world, actually, over time. And then they finally formalized the school and made me go to school. So I went through that whole thing. But, you know... The essentials of school are required. They're building blocks of understanding, but you don't learn the medicine from what you get in school. Mm-hmm. It's what you learn outside of school in in practice is where you really where it comes to life. Yeah. So in the beginning, I was just amazed that you could make change in the body and loved it. Right. 
And then later, as I started discovering all these things you could do to, you know, we were treating inflammatory gut problems, digestive problems, sleep problems, menstrual problems, whatever, in the 80s, 80s, early 90s, a lot, most of what I did was just traditional Chinese medicine, Mm -hmm. acupuncture, herbs, a little bit with food, and that's it. Everybody got better. Everybody. It wasn't hard to do, even when we didn't understand so much of what we understand today, right? Right. But it's gotten much more complicated, much more difficult today. If you don't deal with toxins in the environment, heavy metals, plastics, uh, glyphosate, leaky guts, uh, the number of immune and autoimmune problems are escalating per capita, are escalating out of control right now. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have to deal with all that. So I remember somewhere in the 80s, I'm the first patient that had these severe debilitating headaches. She'd gone to like 30 doctors, spent $50,000, had every test done. Nobody could figure out what to do. And I think it was the first patient where I consciously assessed and then just took her off a of weed. Right? Headaches went away. Gone. Mm. Mm. Right? So deep, wonderful, good stuff, right? But even in those days, they could still eat cousins to wheat. They could eat... Uh, uh, Kamut, spelt, you know, those are indigenous ancient kinds of wheat. So people back then could eat that kind of stuff right. and get away with it. Now they can't. They can't eat. And they've done immune and autoimmune, I mean, um, antigen, antibody tests, lab tests over many years now. They found out a lot of people that are reactive to gluten, which is the number one food allergy, by the way. Um, anybody with immune or autoimmune disorders, you're off the of gluten automatically. We don't even test it. It's a waste of time because it's going to be affecting. It's Gluten is tied to every immune and autoimmune disorder across the board. So it's a waste of time to even test for it. You're done right. with it. Right. All right. Um, but now that guts are worse, there's more toxins in the environment, um, they can't eat anything related to gluten. No oats, wheat, rye, barley, corn, um, you know, the thing, oats is a good example. It technically doesn't have gluten in it, but there's a cross antigen reaction that's developed from the gluten reaction where people started reacting to oats. So there's a whole strata of foods that are being affected in the gut that they never used to react to. And I think another one that people are shocked about too is corn. Corn has a form of gluten in it. They process corn commercially to make a, a weed killer, which is a form of gluten. Right, but I think it's isn't it's also it like a, a safe like a popcorn is like a safe. Um, All commercial corn is genetically modified. It's been yeah. altered. People's bodies do not like corn. No, I and the I. The sugar in corn will kill you. Slowly. Oh, I don't think I I was aware of that part. But high, high fructose corn syrup. Where does that come oh, from? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that certainly will. But popcorn was considered like a safe like food for celiacs deeply wrong yeah deeply deeply wrong anybody so that's really... why i say that yeah people don't think of it yeah but continue sorry i derailed well and also if you could just get in oh we could just talk about corn for an hour <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's really interesting stuff Corn, yeah. <laughs> whole whole civilizations rose and fell based just on um, one one yeah. grain. Yeah. So, wait, wait, I'm gonna avoid that. Uh-huh. <laughs> History lesson. Um. So, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do is somebody comes in with a with a symptom or a problem. Not only do we find out where the problem's coming from and what systems are not working to adapt properly, we try to find ways and means to make that work better. We're, it's really like gen, uh, reverse engineering on their genetics. We're looking at how the body's designed to work, finding out how it's not happening, then find ways and means to make it better, then educate the person so they can actually manage it better. Yes. So that's a lot of what I just said. It's really complicated, but... It is. So for, for those who are not in the field necessarily or who are really, or they're just beginning like their health journey Understanding what it means, like, you know, how they were designed to function and figuring out what does that mean and what is that, how does... Okay, let's get an example then. Yeah. All right. So they did the genome mapping project. They mapped out all the human genes, which they thought was going to take a long time, but it went much quicker than they thought. So it's pretty fascinating, that whole story. Um, 
They found out about one in four people of Asian descent, they don't have a gene for digesting dairy. Mm-hmm. So at least one in four of everybody of Asian descent is technically allergic to dairy. Mm-hmm. So if you look at how humans have developed over multiple thousands of years, there's a lot of Asian cultures that are not dairy-based cultures. So if you can't digest dairy, you can still thrive in that culture. Mm-hmm. Northern European cultures are dairy-based cultures. If you can't digest dairy, you don't thrive. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole different uh, genetic expression that's developed over time based on those different cultures. Right. So I think that's a good example. Yeah. So we've known that about, you know, over the years I've seen a lot of Asians come in with sinus problems, chronic colds and flus, ear infections as kids, stuff like that. I didn't know why, but once they did that and mapped it out, it made just a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also important uh factor to pay attention to as well is like location where you grew up and all of that because when we've had patients come in and you find out I think the one that's sticking out to me was like they're from like North Dakota or South Dakota or something and like just regions where you grew up and what you could have potentially been exposed to and how that could be affecting you now because sometimes we don't think about that either especially if you well with with Inflammatory and diseased guts and leaky guts, um, the food doesn't get fully digested. It gets absorbed through the gut. And when it's not completely broken down, the body can perceive it as something that's not supposed to be there. And you can develop an allergic reaction to food that you've been eating your whole life and all of a sudden start reacting to it. Mm -hmm. So, and this is really complicated stuff. There's stuff in the food. uh, Eggs. Okay, so what do they feed eggs? They feed them corn and grains Mm -hmm. that are full of pesticides and chemicals, right? And they're also been genetically modified. Those proteins are in the egg. Right. So does that mean because of those proteins in the egg that may have started in the food that they fed the chickens that somebody's body is going to start reacting to the eggs? It does. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. And this... The same thing with uh, like uh, the deadly nightshades, tomatoes, peppers, and chilies. I love that you call them deadly because they're not deadly to everyone. <laughs> well, that's the classic of, of. Is that what it? It's it's technically called the deadly nightshades. Is it? Yeah. And and, and the like the original indigenous potato is is poisonous. Uh huh. Okay. So they found a form of the potato over time, and then they cultivated it to where sure. they it cultivated the toxins out. Sure. But there's a uh, alkaline salt. Uh, Not solenoid, but there's a whole class of chemicals that are in all of those foods that it's actually toxic. Mm-hmm. So if it's in a small amount, then it's not, it's negligible. It doesn't, yeah. So we've had people that have been eating peppers and chilies their whole life, never bothered them ever, and then all of a sudden they started getting sick. I think it was like 2007, eight, maybe I started seeing people show up, they, they would... I, their insulin blood sugar was off the scale, like three, four, five hundred. Um, their blood pressure was scary high, like they're going to explode. Uh, they had problems with their skin. It looked like their skin was falling off their flesh. I mean, really serious, extreme responses. And I'd never seen that before. The people that live pristine, perfect lives, healthy, physically active, had good diets. They had no reason to have a blood sugar problem. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they show up one day, and they and they. They do all the stuff I do to regulate their insulin blood sugar response. They're taking all the medications. Nothing's touching it. And it wasn't until we started. Those cases are relatively recent. Mm. In the last, where are we at? Okay, the last 12 years, mm-hmm. 15 years maybe I started seeing this stuff. Um, those cases, until we treated it as an immune or autoimmune problem, we did, we did not get good clinical results and stabilize it. So what we had to do is we had to eliminate all the most common allergens out of their diet and treat it as a gut immune response. When we did that, that was the beginning of stabilizing it. Mm -hmm. And then I did a little bit of research and found out the, I'm getting trouble here. Uh, I think it's the University of New Mexico. They developed genetically modified peppers. They flooded the market with it. I think it was 2004 or five. So, and it seems like it's not a scientific study, but they flooded the market. That's one of their main crops, right, industries. Two or three years after that, people just started reacting to chilies they've eaten their whole life. Mm-hmm. So that's not a study, but yeah. it's hard not to see stuff like that and go, hmm, 
Right. Curious. And, and, yeah. and either way, they've eaten it their whole life, and now it's making them sick. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and also, like, some of the other cases that we've seen, too, is like, oh, they're from, you know, this other state, and they grew up, or it could be your, your profession as well, right? You're breathing in certain chemicals, or you're around something that you probably don't put two and two together that it could be contributing to the now symptoms that you have. But those are important factors to peel apart as well for anyone who is, like, trying to figure out what is happening with them as well. Like, those are important things to relay to your physician as well. They are. We do ask questions about where they came from, where they grew up. And right. Some, sometimes it'll play in the kind of toxins we start screening for. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people have told me that as kids that they played with uh, liquid mercury from a broken thermometer rolled around in their hands. <laughs> many, many people have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so now if you break a thermometer, you got to close everything up to come with hazmat suits and you got to vacuum it up and, right. you know, it gets absorbed right through your skin. It goes into your nervous system. It stays there. It doesn't come out unless you pull it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one woman that grew up in uh, Louisiana. She played in those swamps mm. and they had petroleum industry all around there. Right. Right. So now we have uh, chronic kidney disease with that woman. Mm-hmm. And the only therapies that she's responding to is we treat her for petrochemical toxicity and heavy metal exposure. Mm-hmm. When we do that, her numbers start to improve and she feels better. Mm-hmm. So again, it, the, you know, this is a clinical point of view. These are not scientific studies, but you see this kind of stuff repeat itself many, many times. Right. It makes you wonder. Right. And so you ask about where somebody lives. Sometimes it's just your next door neighbor. But if, if they're in a moldy environment, for instance, and they're chronically ill, mm-hmm. they're exposed to something that's just making them sick. Right. And the other misnomer in Western medicine, I think, that affects a lot of people is people think that if you're exposed to something like an infection or mold, for instance, right, then that will make you sick. But in Chinese medicine, we don't look at just the exposure. We look at what is happening in your body that your body is not able to adapt to that stress or to that toxin. Mm-hmm. Not everybody that's exposed to mold gets Expresses. sick. Yeah. Right. So why is your body doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and often with really chronic sick people, we don't go after the infection or the condition directly. We actually put a lot of effort into strengthening their immune system and their digestion and their and trying to re-educate their immune response so that they can actually handle the therapy before we get into it. Right. Yeah, I think it's about like bringing the body back to a state of balance where because if you're in a more balanced state health-wise, then if you do come across a foreign invader or a foreign pathogen, the likelihood of you responding to that or responding better and not expressing symptoms is higher. So Chinese medicine is, um, I mean, you think about yin and yang, that's what it is. It's a balance between. If you're adapting well, you're not going to have complaints. You're not going to come in. Right. But, and so that's my point is that Chinese medicine is there to bring you back to this state of balance. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and they never separate that. They, you know, that's what I'm saying. A lot of times we will choose to tonify and improve somebody's function before we have to go after the pathology or the main problem. Yeah. Because if we don't, they can't handle it. They can't handle the therapy or the changes that occur, even if it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, and then even if you get rid of a chronic infection in the gut, they still need to start digesting well. Right. So you still have to do that in the course of everything. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So... What, I mean, I guess we kind of touched on it before, but like, what are the important factors if, if we could like, you know, give some pointers to listeners right now, what are the things or where would you start with addressing overall health? I would start with basic habits. Okay. So we've, we've got a, a, a list of habits and behaviors in levels so we've got them broken down into five different levels level one is just getting good sleep in the middle of the night wake up and think of three things that you're grateful for a 10-minute walk 
drink this much water and start cutting out cigarettes, caffeine, and alcohol and the other stuff. It's just really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's very profound. People will heal quite a bit just from doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, the deeper layers get into not just eating good food, but eliminating food allergens mm-hmm. and improving function. And the deepest level is to get in there and try to make changes at a genetic level. Mm-hmm. And that's all done with diet, supplements, amino acids, formulas that we designed. We have formulas in our toolkits that are designed to modify neurotransmitters, hormone balance, almost any kind of functional aspect of it. I brought out a folder today. This is a, I love this because we're, we're getting a handle on chronic circulation problems. Are we out of time? Okay. All right. This gentleman is, oh, ageless. He didn't write his age down. Ah, perfect. 77. And he has uh, severely damaged blood vessels in his legs and his calves. Um, edema. He came in with his big toe was infected because of poor circulation. There's lots of water on his legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, puffy, tender. You could see the veins that were swollen. The veins in his legs and thighs were swollen. You just push on him, palpate. If those veins and blood vessels in his legs are bad, that's, that's blood vessels from his brain all the way down to his toes that we're dealing with. The ones we can see and we can get to are just in his legs. Right. So we put him on a, on a protocol to actually help repair the blood vessels and veins. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in years, that swelling has gone down. Um, we can push into his calf and to his thighs without any pain at all. The color is much better. His feet aren't blue, dark blue like they were. His toe is healing for the first time and we don't know how long. Right. He's off of antibiotics right now. Mm. And he just feels great. Yeah. But, you know, to be able to do that, that's taken decades to figure out how to approach it, how to assess it, and create formulas that will actually do that. It didn't happen overnight. Right. But that's all done through Chinese medicine and functional medicine. Mm-hmm. So we look at the components that will repair a blood vessel. We have about a half dozen things that are pretty essential for those to be there for that to happen. Right. So we assess that and give those to people, and then we have formulas that are specifically designed. Most of it's herbally based, but it's herbs glandulars, amino acids, enzymes, certain cofactors. So these formulas are actually pretty sophisticated, even in our world. Yeah. And they're, and I'm really happy with it. So the, for the first time in many years, we're actually consistently addressing those problems well. Right. Yeah, I think, and not that, you know, I've been in a handful or, or many acupuncture clinics, but I feel like you're the only person um, that really creates formulas like you do. We innovate. Yes. We create and innovate. And, and okay, what allows us to innovate? Because we're tracking all these systems in the body. So we initiate any kind of therapy. We can see what all these different systems are responding to it. Right. So when somebody gets better, we don't say, oh, do you feel better? We know in great detail, vertebral levels are better. Muscle groups have relaxed. Pain has gone down. Less inflammation in the joints, guts, blood vessels. Um, you can see the affect of blood vessels repairing because the swelling has gone down, the coloration in the legs are better, they can walk longer without discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the blood vessels in their legs are better, they're getting more blood and oxygen to the brain. So cognitively, their memory is better, they're sleeping better, they just simply feel better across the board. Right. So, and there are many, many systems that we track. So when we initiate change, then we track it. And if, so when somebody's better, we're not guessing. Right. But it's a lot like reverse engineering. It's not a scientific study that we set up, look for a principle or a mechanism. We're looking at all these different systems. So. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, well, maybe it's just for me, but the, when someone just simply like feels better, like that's the biggest, like labs are great, but the biggest thing to me is if the person actually feels a change, sees a change. You know what I mean? Well, we go out of our way to take objective lab data. So we any test that an enemy does, we do. Right. And often do. So we can take a blood test and we look for those markers to see if there's improvement on it. But you can see dramatic improvement in their chemistry and they could feel no change. Right. So it's not necessarily the criteria. So you definitely want them to feel better, mm-hmm. right? Less pain, more energy, function better. Right. 
but you can take a supplement like an antioxidant like vitamin C. It could be quenching free radicals that prevent damage to your cells. It could be profoundly protecting your cells from damage and you feel nothing. Mm-hmm. So that raises the question, why do people take supplements? Is it working? Am I taking the right stuff? So that's when they come in, we give you the stuff that works and then we track it. So when it's working, we know that it's working because we're assessing all these different systems. Right. So right. it's confusing for people. And people get tired of taking supplements. I get tired of taking pills, mm-hmm. but it makes a huge difference over time. Right. Well, and I think sometimes people also get used to feeling a certain way. Like you get habituated to it. Yeah. Right. And so, and I mean, that could be with like pain and they don't realize like how That's poorly f- they're feeling. Or you can also like, I'm feeling good. And then you, yeah, you get habituated to it. And then you're That's just. That's one of my favorites. Somebody that even, even mild pain will take the stuffing out of you. It'll rob you of your soul, mm-hmm. your energy, your ability to function, but you get habituated to it. So we'll get people and get them completely out of pain and they start to relax for the first time. They'll just start bawling their head off because mm-hmm. they didn't realize how profoundly that was affecting them over time. They were just so used to it. They just thought it was normal. Right. Right. So. Yeah. So, but I mean, like some people might not even notice that they're, that they've, they're they feeling the pain. Yeah. great because they're, you know, they were taking these pills and then when they come off the pills or they forget their p- pills and then it becomes, then they start to not feel well and they're like, okay, these are working. You know, we've had many people come back and just start taking their regimens just because it worked and they have no idea why. Right. So, I mean, if I took the time to explain everything to everybody, I'd be here for hours with each patient. Yeah. Which, I mean, I we spend so much time with patients anyways, you know, which yeah. I think is different and also good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So, you know. We change lives in a dramatic way. People can connect to what they're doing and they're capable of doing stuff. And then it's a good day. I feel like every day is a good day at the clinic. Well, I have I have one more question, um, kind of linking it back to this point of connection and the, um, and the mission overall. Do you feel like this disconnection that people have with themselves, others, environment, you know, spirit, is that a symptom or a byproduct of, of illness? Or do you feel like disconnection creates these symptoms? Or do you feel like it could go both ways? You know, I almost compare that to the grandparents I mentioned before, you know, they were born in 1900. They knew who they were. They knew what right and wrong was. They knew what culture taught them. They knew who their neighbor was. They cared about people. They were connected to their neighbors. They tried to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. right? My grandparents raised a family during the depression when they didn't have enough. Mm -hmm. My mother didn't have enough to eat. She didn't know any better Mm -hmm. because of who my grandparents were, right? Mm -hmm. So they were special people that way. But, um, you know, and it's that generation that fought World War II Mm-hmm. It showed up in a really deep, profound way and made profound commitments and sacrifice. And we everything's less than that these days. Our culture's broken apart. People don't know what's right and wrong. Everything's changed and shifted. Uh, we have way more toxins in the environment than our grandparents ever had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So the things that cause everything to become more disjointed, disconnected, is profoundly worse. Right. So the imperative to help people connect in any and every way is essential for our lives, for our culture, just to move forward in life. And it's harder, much harder, much more complicated than it ever used to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, my grandparents, they just had to get the kids to church, get them to school, and everybody knew what, what was expected and what right and wrong was. Right. I'm not saying that it was perfect, but it was much simpler, much more direct in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that question, but things are much, much more worse in almost every level. Yeah. I hate to sound so pessimistic about it, but I'm having to deal with these issues in the clinic in real people and real bodies. And it's not getting easier. It's getting much more complicated. Yeah. Which is why we've had to learn to innovate and make all kinds of new formulas and techniques that didn't exist before. Right. Just because the need is greater. Well, I think that also speaks to just how 
much our culture needs more medicine like this and how important it is. I mean, all forms of medicine are important, but I think the the improved access and more people practicing this kind of medicine as well so that, you know, prevention is a huge part of or should be a huge part of how we live as well, you know, and that when we can draw more consciousness to how we're living, right, can we then begin to connect in better ways to everything around us? Yes. So I, I want to leave two thoughts with you. I love thoughts. Ooh, there's a thought. Mm. Um, I'll leave two thoughts with you. Uh, choose to live and live well. Mm. Yeah. In that order. Choose to live and live well. And also, inside of each one of us is this kind of internal yardstick. And so if you want to know if something's good or bad or right or wrong or what you need to do in life, you go into that internal yardstick and that yardstick tells you whether you're more connected or disconnected to anything. Mm. So in any situation, place, time, or event, you can go inside, take a breath, and go, do I feel more connected to myself, the people around me in the world, and God? Or do I feel further away, more disconnected? It's mm. an innate yardstick. It's inside of every soul and human being. Mm-hmm. And it's there. You just got to get used to listening to it. Mm-hmm. And it's always there. Yeah. So in terms of connectedness, that's the that's something that you own in your heart of hearts. Right. Well, maybe we can do another podcast on, on a soul level and connecting to this deeper place because I feel like that's a huge part of it and what we practice here as well. Yeah, people are starving for that. Yeah. But... Well, thank you for for joining me today. Um, <clears throat> I know that you're not super active on social media, but the places social that, what? Yeah, <laughs> the places that they can find you on Instagram and on Facebook, because I know that you plan on putting out some more content here in the near future, is at Mosher Health, M O S H E R Health, both on Instagram and on Facebook. Yeah, but you can find him also on his website which is mosherhealth.com. So I will leave with that, but I hope that everyone has enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. So thank you, Dr. Mosher. All right, I've got one more ad. Oh, please. Yeah, so I've decided I'm going to start teaching uh, professionals in my field how to do the medicine better in a more integrated way. Yeah. So we've got a new program put together. It's called... uh, Prosperous Essentials of Traditional Medicine. Ooh. And so we're going to take people in my field and teach them this integrated process of assessing, finding patterns, yep. applying the medicine, and then educating people. Yep. So anyway, Stay we're, going to, for we're going to take the essence of the traditional medicine the way it used to be taught, and we're going to bring it back into what's being the what they're coming out of from the schools. Yes, and that's very much needed. All right, all you acupuncturists, look me up. Yeah. Well, I'll keep everyone um, up to date on that as well. So, but thank you for joining me. And I know that we'll do this again soon. Thank you.